today we're going to meet with um, Sheridan Teasel, who is a mathematics teacher in Dubai. Uh, he's had a bit of a varied career leading up to this, and I thought it'd be really interesting to hear what your career has consisted of and how you got to where you are today, really. Uh, so Sheridan, over to you. I'll get you to tell me a little bit maybe about how you started off, A-levels, university, that kind of thing. Okay, uh, so... I guess when I was doing my GCSEs, uh, or what is now called GCSEs, I, um, I guess when I made my choices, I didn't have a strong, strong passion for anything. And it was only as I went through my GCSEs that I, I realized I was sort of better at the, the maths and science stuff. And I also realized that uh, I was very interested in becoming a pilot. So. Uh, it sort of made more sense to go down the sort of physics and maths route because that naturally helped with that sort of thing. Uh, so when I chose my A-levels, I actually wanted to do maths, further maths, physics and English. But back then, my school wouldn't let me do that because of timetabling problems. It's uh, The world has improved since then. So I ended up doing the old classic of maths, further maths, physics and chemistry. Uh, and I guess that kind of naturally fed into what I was going to do at university. And so really I was choosing between uh, maths and physics uh, at university. And to be honest, my physics was probably stronger at that stage. Uh, so I applied to do physics at a very good university almost because someone told me I didn't stand a chance, so I wanted to prove them wrong. Um, it's amazing what the right oh, motivation okay. will be. Um, yeah. And uh, took it from there, I guess. Uh, by the time I'd finished my GCSEs, I'd actually decided that I wanted to pursue a career as a pilot in the Air Force, as a military pilot. And uh, so I started applying for all kinds of RAF scholarships and, and things like that and trying to get myself a bit more military-like. Um, and so at university, I did, spent a lot of time with, with the Air Force and they, they sponsored me through university. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's always a good way to get it done, but well done. Yeah. Uh, so did you join with the Air Force before going to uni or did you go to uni and then decide to go with the Air Force? What way did that work out? So it's, it's an interesting point. So um, I actually got a sixth form scholarship from the Air Force and then they were sort of slightly putting some pressure on me to, to go straight into the Air Force and, at one, and not go to university. And at one stage, I was actually contemplating doing that, um, but I then realized uh, sort of that, you know, when you get an offer from a good university, it's sort of opportunities like that aren't going to come up very often. So I uh, persuaded the Air Force to let me go to university instead of joining up straight away and applied for a cadetship at the university. And so then uh, I, my summer between sixth form and university, I spent over a month doing some sort of basic training and oh, yeah, there we go. effectively joined the Air Force before university and they uh, and that was in and signed on the dotted line for a long time. Um, okay. Uh, before and what university was it you went to? Uh, so I went to Oxford. I was lucky enough okay. to be off 
physics at Oxford, so I read physics at Oxford and uh, managed to keep my head above water and ended up with a decent degree, uh, which, as things turned out, proved invaluable. It's always a good degree will always give you a good plan B, I think, if plan A doesn't work out. And, and that's the thing. Uh, there are obviously, obviously lots of options when you have your degree. Um, so with Oxford, with applying to Oxford, obviously, I'm sure the being with the Air Force helped with that when it was the scholarship and it was everything. Um, did you, is there anything that you could give, any tips you could give to anyone who is looking to study at Oxford or who is there, any tips you would give for studying in that university in particular or for even applying to there? Um, sure. Well, I mean, I think if you, if you are going to go competitive universities, then uh, you want to start thinking about it and start preparing for it early, would might be my opinion, sort of in year, year 12, reading around your subject, you know, uh, exploring your subject beyond the curriculum and being uh -huh. prepared to talk about it. My, my top tip was if you're, if you're reading beyond the curriculum and and you're doing things beyond the curriculum, log it so that by the time you get to fill in your forms, you've, you can remember everything you've done, you know, keep a log of which books you read, what you thought about it, maybe an interesting quote from that book. And it just, you, you, it makes life easier the earlier you start logging that sort of stuff. Yeah, the good tip for the students. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. So you, st uh, you read physics at Oxford and I'll let you continue from there. Uh, yeah, so then I joined the Air Force and I trained to be uh, a pilot in the Air Force and uh, the main reason I wanted to join the Air Force as a pilot is because, well, the physics of fast jets is just mad. Um, <laughs> you know, these big heavy lumps of metal with tiny little wings and big noisy propulsion systems, uh, you know, streaking around the sky is just amazing physics. So. That was what I wanted to do, and I actually wanted to fly Jaguars, which are now out of service, but I grew up as a kid seeing Jaguars fly over my home quite a lot. So that was what I wanted to do, uh, and I'm sort of on track to do that. Uh, and uh, that was all going really quite well, and then an annual medical, I was told I've got diabetes, and you're not allowed to be, for perfectly logical reasons, you're not allowed to be the only person in a big lump of metal with quite a lot of bombs and ammunition underneath it flying near towns and villages if there's a chance <laughs> you're a bit woozy. So I suppose that does make sense, yes. <laughs> so they offered me uh, a ground job in the Air Force, which wasn't why I joined the Air Force. So I decided to take a medical discharge from the Air Force and look elsewhere, I guess. Okay, and so where did that lead you to? Uh, so we're, we're talking quite a long time ago, so application systems were very different. Um, the military actually pays quite well in the early years. If you're single and you're living in an officer's mess, um, you get very, very cheap food and accommodation. So I basically didn't want to take a pay cut. So, and I didn't know what else I wanted to do apart from fly. So I just went for the money. And so I wrote off about 200 letters old school uh, to every investment bank, every accountancy firm, every consultancy firm, uh, anything that I thought would pay me well <laughs> while I decided what I wanted to do. Um, 
and saying, this is me, can I have a job, please? Uh, saying, I've got a good degree, I've got this experience in the Air Force, and I'd like to join you, and will you pay me? And okay. <laughs> out of the 200, about 198 of them said no, because I just missed the graduate mill ground cutoff deadlines. But a couple, a couple, most of them said, interesting, please apply next year, and I didn't have a year to wait. And so the few that did reply, uh, I ended up working at JP Morgan. Uh, I joined as a trader. Um, I didn't really know much about the job when I managed to land the job. I, I'd read up a lot on, about it, but I, I think one of the big things is whatever job you do, you don't really know what it's like until you've been in it on the inside for a bit of time, whether that's months or years. Yes. Um, so when I applied to be a pilot in the Air Force, I didn't really know what that really involved, and it turned out I liked it. When I applied to become you know, part of a big investment bank, I didn't really know what that involved day to day until I've been and done it. And I think that's, to be honest, that's why internships are so valuable, because you get a sense of what it really is like day to day doing something, and maybe it's not what you thought it was. Oh, exactly. And yeah, work experience, internships, anything there can really help you decide what you want to follow a little bit later. But at the same time, I suppose, as you said, you don't know until you're in there doing it day to day. And that's why a lot of people do end up changing careers as they progress. Uh, and even if they do like it in the beginning, as you age and as you mature and your idea of what you want changes, you may decide you want to change it too, which is uh, obviously what happens to a lot of people. Yeah, so you worked in investment banking with JP Morgan. Uh, so how what was your day like doing that? What, what was the day to day? A lot of us don't know. So I guess sort of, yeah, there are, within any big organization, there's lots and lots of different jobs. Uh, the role that I had was, you know, very long hours, uh, lots of pressure and stress um, because the they're paying you well. They're trying to get as much out of you as they can. Is is more or less the way a commercial organisation works. Obviously, that's a gross oversimplification, but that's more or less the gist of it. And they want those people who are prepared to really work hard and and their heart is in it, and they and they want to make a difference. So I guess the the biggest thing in going into you know you don't know what the job is going to be like it's got to be something where your heart is really in it you, you know mm -hmm. you, it's good so anyway i my my day was every single morning i had to be in for a 6:45 meeting and mm -hmm. i needed to be up to date with the overnight news before that so i could speak in the meeting about what had happened in my sector overnight because uh, obviously after London, I was employed in London, after London finishes, lots of stuff continues to happen in, in the US and then Asia gets in and lots of stuff happens in mm -hmm. Asia before we arrive in the office at 6.30 London time. Uh, so yeah, uh, 6.45 morning meeting and then uh, basically a com mainly sitting at a desk, speaking to people, gathering information, assessing what's going on uh, and making decisions about how to invest the the assets that I've been tasked with. It was a trading desk, so it wasn't long-term investment. It was looking mm -hmm. to find things that I thought clients might like to buy and then 
basically go out and find them from somewhere at a lower price than I could sell, then sell them to clients. If I could buy in the morning and sell in the afternoon at a higher price, that was, mm-hmm. that was the goal. That would be perfect. You could be a good person to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But clearly it's not that easy because the whole financial world is trying to do the same thing. So those, those opportunities are few and far between. So often you have to take a longer term view. Uh, uh-huh. so generally leave I, I didn't have to work that late I got in about 6 30 I was often done by 6 p.m okay. uh, you know 11 hours is not nearly as long as some hours in these kind of industries like law or banking uh-huh. uh, but then often there would be socializing outside of work either with colleagues in different areas of the bank to sort of try and get to know people, get to know other businesses, but more often either with clients or with people doing the same job as you at other banks, in other words, your competitors, so that you can share ideas and, you know, it's collaborative. I think most careers, you've got to be prepared to take a very collaborative approach to things, learn how to work with people and share information appropriately, try and gather information and and, be, uh-huh. and make some tough decisions. Um, uh, good days and bad days, you know, you just need more good days than bad days. Exactly. Uh, right, so after JP Morgan, where did you go? What happened after that? Uh, so... Um, what made you decide to change? So Maybe. sort of in the trading role, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a slightly long story, but there was around about that time, there was a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on with banks buying each other. And JP Morgan merged with a, another massive financial organization. So they had two sets of people doing everything. And so I was offered quite a promoted job, but in something that I really didn't want to do. And I didn't believe in that business. So I started looking elsewhere and I found a more senior job at a much smaller bank. I went and did that for a while. Ran a, I was already running a team at JP. I went around a bigger team with a global responsibility at the Royal Bank of Canada for a little while. And then I got a call from someone who I'd worked with before to ask me to go and join him at a division of AIG. And and that was a move from sort of the investment banking side, which is often called the sell side. You're trying to find products to sell to clients, as it were, to being more of a client of the big investment banks and having a portfolio that I invested off that. So I managed a big portfolio, but then I also provided very complex mathematical financial solutions to, to other, other financial institutions. So that became a specialization, uh, which is complicated would take a while to explain um and that eventually took me to hong kong so this there was an opportunity they wanted a should we say a safe pair of hands who knew the business knew the company well to go and really streamline and and build up business in asia so uh that was an amazing opportunity uh go and see a different part of the world a new role more senior role And so I went into banking thinking, I'll just do this for a couple of years till I figure out what I want to do and enjoying it. And obviously banking pays well. So as I got more and more senior, I was running global bits of business. That was kind of hard to to leave as 
it was all going well. Uh -huh. uh, spent a few years in, in Hong Kong working for AIG. And then they, well, there were a few financial crises and things along the way, but they wanted me to move to either London or, or New York. And I didn't want to, so uh, we parted company and I thought, well, I'll just, I only went into this for a couple of years. I ended up doing it for 17 years. And I thought, well, let's okay. <laughs> take a break for a little while, have a pause, think about what I really want to do. Yeah. Uh, in a very mathsy kind of way, I drew more or less a Venn diagram. So it started off as a list, turned into a Venn diagram of what are the things over the last 17 years that I've really enjoyed doing? And what are the things that I think I did really well? And if there's anything on the intersection in there, that's going to give me a yeah. clue. And okay. I'd long, long been interested in education pretty much every part of my career, both in the Air Force and in JP Morgan and in AIG, I spent a lot of time training people and explaining things to people. And I really, really enjoyed that part of the job. Okay. And I also, to clients, I went into people at the level of, you know, board level of financial institutions to explain complicated stuff to them and, uh, and you know, help them understand complex situations better. And so I realized what I really enjoyed doing was explaining complicated things to people. Um, <laughs> led me to education. So I, I then started my own business. Uh, I uh, spent most of my time running a uh, and building a, a tutoring school in Hong okay. Kong, which is very lucrative. Um, but then I realized that if I was going to be running a big tutoring school, most of what I was going to be doing was hiring people, training people, enforcing things. And uh, well, I, as a senior manager in banking, I was I ended up really being a manager of people and not so much a manager of the trading. And I thought, well, that, that's great, but I want to go into education to actually spend more time doing that. You know, I love okay. managing people, I love managing teams, but my move into education was very much to to try to make a hands-on sort of difference to people's outcomes. Okay, so to actually be in the classroom. <laughs> exactly. So it started off like right, well I want to I really enjoyed teaching students at that stage. Obviously things evolve and and you know after a period of time in education, things evolve and I'm, you know, uh, you know, looking, you know, you're always looking, well, what's what's the best role for me? Is this the best role for me? But um, uh, yeah, so I wanted to be a classroom teacher. And so uh, at a I was a relatively mature student, shall we say, when I went back to university to do my PGCE. Mm -hmm. uh, and become a teacher. I taught in Hong Kong for several years. So I, I, I tutored for four years. I taught in Hong Kong for many years. Uh, and then that brought me to Dubai. Okay, and to where you are today. So you're teaching mathematics here, but you're also the head of positive psychology. So you're wearing two hats. Yes. Uh, so where does that come into your love <laughs> of maths and physics? <laughs> Good question. So I do actually joke with some people that I wanted to do 
uh, a master's in physics, but I just got the P's and the H's and the Y's mixed up and I ended up doing psychology. But um, clearly that's not really the case. Um, so uh, I guess one of the things that I think is difficult to grasp when you're maybe doing GCSEs or stuff is is to really sort of develop a, a passion for learning just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. And so I've been like so, so busy with all my investment banking job. But then when I took a breather, I thought, what I'd like to do? Oh, actually, I'd like to learn something new. And I'd always been quite interested in psychology. So I took some undergraduate modules in university undergraduate modules in psychology, learned how to write essays or relearn how to write essays again, which is harder when you're 40 than it is when you're when you're 18. Definitely. And I uh, did a master's in psychology and the bit of so I, I was never sort of had any ambition of being a clinical psychologist. I was just interested in the science of how does the brain work? How do we learn things? Mm -hmm. How does our environment affect us both in terms of our output, but also our emotions and our feelings and all that sort of thing. So I, in my master's in psychology, I specialized in sort of how emotions such as anxiety, like if people are anxious at maths, how that affects their performance. They might actually be quite good at maths. It's just when they sit a test, they get anxious about it and that impacts their performance. And then they tell themselves they're not good at maths. Okay, so yeah. A lot of work in Hong Kong about pro, you know, designing and implementing programs to try and help students overcome things like that and teaching growth mindset to a lot of people. And uh -huh. so naturally led to the uh, positive education, positive psychology role. Okay, no, fantastic. And it is, and it shows how the two of them have linked in your life and what, the, and a lot of people wouldn't see that link, but it, it's fantastic. And that's the, the way to look at things and what you actually enjoy combining your two interests into one role, which is fantastic. Um, so you're here now, have you, any plans for the future or do you, you're happy in the classroom at the moment and that's where you want to be or? Well, I, I definitely want to stay in the classroom. I think, you know, um, given my background, you know, maybe it would make sense at some point to uh, at some point to move on to a more senior role. But, uh, you know, I very much want to stay in the classroom, very much want to be able to make a difference, um, uh, make a difference to students. That's the main driver for me, I think people can figure out their drivers, why are they doing this? It, yeah. it helps, helps just make any job more enjoyable than just being a duty or a chore or whatever. Well, that's it. And the students are lucky to have someone that actually wants to be in the classroom there with them because they can always tell. Have you any, when we're talking about students, have you any tips or any just anything that you would tell students applying now, I know you've, you've alluded to it a few times throughout the conversation, but different things, anything you would say to the students now applying to university or embarking on the beginning of their career, what would you recommend or anything you would say to them? Uh, I guess the summary is follow your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might have a long-term goal, but if you think, oh, well, surgeons get paid a load of money when they're a consultant when they're 40 so i want to be a, a consultant surgeon because i want to be paid, mm -hmm. paid 
that's probably not the right decision making process unless you want to be a surgeon for other reasons as well. Do you know what I mean? Because yes. over the course of a career, you're going to need intrinsic motivation. And so if you're it, really your, your heart's got to be in something. And I fully acknowledge it's not easy to know, always know where your passions lie or, or things. And you might have to try out different things, but don't be afraid to try different things and don't be able, don't be afraid to pursue what your heart is telling you. That's it. Uh, well, I suppose that's a good one. Follow your heart and be prepared to change if you don't have what you want, which is always a good one. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, thanks for giving your insight and your information. Uh, there's a lot for the students to digest there. And I think you've had a very interesting career and long may you enjoy the teaching now. <laughs> thank you thank again. You. Thank uh, you. Thanks.